Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. Um, so you can follow along up here if you'd like. And um, if you need help finding it, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So it continues the story of the gospel if you're using a physical Bible, okay? So Acts chapter 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right. So first of all, thank you, everybody, for being flexible. Um, you know, like in the desert when Israel's wandering, there's a cloud and it goes from place to place or a pillar of fire and we got to go from place to place. God is the same and thank you for being flexible. His spirit is here, so we're going to have a great time, I think. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, so... Um, I teach uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers, which means I'm always kind of like revisiting those time periods in my life. And I got my first uh, girlfriend in seventh grade and um, we started dating on like a Tuesday. And I was like, wow, this is great. But by Monday, she calls me and says, we got to have a talk. I said, really? She goes, yeah, um, I don't like you anymore. I like your friend Ryan. And then I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so I hung up the phone, and I remember having, like, this, like, strange, like, feeling. I was like, I don't know how to feel about this. Like, I've seen enough, like, um, rom-coms or, like, little TV shows to know, like, uh, like, Saved by the Bell was probably the big one, or 90210 to know, like, oh, I should feel a certain kind of way, but I didn't feel anything. <laughs> and, uh, of course, it, uh, it would not have worked out. Her name was Kim, so if we got married, she'd be Kim Kim, and... <laughs> that's not going to work, right? And we'd only been together for a week. So I was just like, all right, that's, I guess that's that. So I moved on. So that was a breakup. It didn't do anything. But here we have a shocking breakup. And in verse 39, it tells us that Barnabas and Paul came to such a strong disagreement that they split from one another. And this is shocking for a couple of reasons. As Pastor Sam mentioned last week, there had been a huge disagreement, not just between two people, but between two whole factions with the church. The church had grown to thousands of people, and you had thousands of people saying, if you want to be a Christian, you have to follow Jewish tradition. There's a whole nother group of thousands of people that say, no, you don't. And they all met together in Jerusalem. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they figured this thing out. Huge conflict among thousands of people gets resolved. And you would think that the next story has to do with peace amongst individuals, but the next story has to do with a conflict between two people. And it's even more shocking because of the people that split up. The people that split up are not just any random people. It's the most dynamic duo in the book of Acts. Barnabas and Paul, the Batman and Robin, or whatever you want to say, the Jordan and Pippin of the book of Acts has suddenly split apart. And it's shocking because these guys have been together since the beginning, right after the Holy Spirit falls on Apostle Paul and he needs to be restored. Nobody trusts him because he was a murderer who murdered Christians. And Barnabas is the guy that said, 
I will vouch for this guy. And he brings him to Jerusalem and introduces him to Peter, introduces him to the other apostles. And so these guys, I mean, Paul should look at Barnabas as like the guy who helped him find friends again. Um, Let's see what's going to happen. And so, um, I thought it was one of the kids, but, (laughs) and so, uh, not only that, Paul ends up going into obscurity. There's a church that starts in Antioch, and Barnabas knows that that church needs pastors and teachers that can help. So Barnabas goes and gets Paul, rescues him from obscurity, vouches for him again, and says, this is a guy that you can trust. From there, they go on a road trip to Jerusalem, deliver money, and they go on their first missionary journey together. Not only that, but in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit speaks audibly through a prophet and says, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas. These are literally friendships that are made in heaven. The Spirit had said these two guys are supposed to be together. Now in life, we have friends over all kinds of reasons. When I was a kid, I had friends that we bonded over video games. But once video games went away, the friendship went away. And then I used to play a guitar in a band, and there was 14 of us because, as was very cool at the time, I played in a ska band. So there was a trumpet player and a saxophone player, and we had a guy who just danced around. But once ska music went out of fashion, the band dissipated. This is a gospel-centered friendship, which is a very strange kind of friendship because it cuts across the normal things that make you friends. It's not um, your age, it's not your interests, it's not any of that stuff, but it's just spending time in the gospel. We used to have an elder here named uh, Matt, and we spent a lot of time together. We would go to morning prayer every morning. I'd pick him up at five in the morning, wait outside of his place. We'd go to morning prayer, we'd come back. We had small group at his place. We'd watch Sixers games, and then I'd go home and come back. We were elders together. We discussed eldership together, and we met here at church. And it's just like uh, normal stuff. But when he left for San Francisco, I could not look him in the eye for the last like three days he was here because I would just start crying. And I was like, what's going on? So when we said goodbye, we just like didn't make eye contact. I was like, and then we left. I'm sorry, I spit on you. Um, So there's a weird power in like friendship that's built around those kind of simple things because it cuts right to your like uh, the deepest part of your heart. And right away, you were talking about man, I need help, and can you help me? And that goes right away. Now, you would think that gospel friendships are as strong as they get, but as we find out in the story, that's not the case. These guys are best friends, and by the end of this, they have to go their separate ways. On the macro level, the Holy Spirit has allowed there to be reconciliation, but on the micro level, between two friends, there is a rift. A gospel-centered friendship has been torn asunder. And now we've got to ask, how did this happen and what does this mean for us and what happens from this split? And as we ask these kind of questions, we're going to find actually that there's a lot of great lessons for a church like our church who is in the midst of asking about mission and people and priority and what is it that the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. So with that, let me pray for us and then we'll look at this story together. Uh, Dear God, we just thank you so much for giving us this time and we thank you that I said a couple times already is actually true that we can go into the desert. We can go onto an island. We can go anywhere and your spirit is here. And we pray that as we hear your word that your spirit would fall in a powerful way and that it would 
cut past all of the distractions that are there, cut past all of the sin that's there, and speak to us because um, more than anything, God, as a church and as people, what we need is to hear your voice. We need to know that you have not um, passed us by, but that you are still here in a powerful way and you have something you want to say to us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we got a text from one of the members of the church, and as we were worshiping, uh, this person said that they heard the word um, unity as we were thinking about the church. So, Lord, as we come to this place, we pray for unity in the Spirit. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So what's going on? Verse 36, Paul says, hey, I want to go visit these churches that we planted. And then Barnabas in verse 37 says, great, let's bring our buddy um, John called Mark. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to bring Mark because he left us. And so Mark is like the Yoko Ono of this whole situation. Paul and Barnabas are together and somebody comes in to split them up. So you got to ask, who is Mark? And why is he so important that he can split these guys up? Mark is a minor character in the book of Acts. The first time you have mention of him is Acts chapter 12, when Peter is in prison and miraculously escapes and the church is praying for him. Where are they praying for him? They're praying for him in Jerusalem in John Mark's mother's house. And from this, we get a couple of clues. Most likely, John Mark is a disciple of Peter. Most likely, he's a Jerusalem Christian, meaning he approaches Christianity from a very uh, Jerusalem and Jewish point of view. And in this fight that we just saw on the macro level between do you need circumcision or not, he's probably more on the side that says you probably need to follow more Jewish customs. That's his background. That's where he's from. When Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem with the gift of Antioch, they probably meet John Mark there and they say, hey, come with us on this first missionary journey. And they take him with him. And as they go throughout this journey, John Mark suddenly abandons them. And here, uh, the word that's used is withdrawn. And when you look at other uses of this word, it has a military context. And it doesn't mean that he just withdrew, but that he deserted them. And Paul is this very kind of radical kind of guy, like the guy who always pushes the envelope. And as he keeps pushing further and further, Mark gets more and more uncomfortable. And if you have like a lot of friends, you always know there's a crazy guy like Paul. So when like you're young and you have like your first sleepover, there's always the guy when it's like 12 o'clock at night who says, guys, let's stay up all night and play video games. And you go, yeah, let's stay up all night and play video games. When you're um, a little bit older, there's a guy that says, let's stay out all night and then go to um, Norebang and see what happens. And you do that. Um, even amongst like um, the elders, I would say maybe Peter is uh, that guy. Uh, so for example, the reason is we had an elders retreat once and we ate lunch in New Jersey. And then Sam's like, I'm in New Jersey. I live in New Jersey. I'm going to stay in New Jersey. I'll drop you guys off right over here at the bus. And you guys can take the bus across the George Washington Bridge. And then... Um, you can go home from there. And we're like, okay, great. And we're like, oh, we got to make it for the bus. We walk down to the bus and Peter goes, hey guys, let's walk across the bridge. And then we're like, okay, but what about the bus? He goes, no, no, it'll be fun. And so we walk across the bridge and it was fun. I took pictures of myself and then I was like, oh, this is great. I'd never walked across the bridge before. So every group needs a guy that's like, hey, let's go a little bit more. And Paul was that guy. Hey, let's go talk to the Gentiles. And Mark is like um, a Jewish Christian and he's getting very uncomfortable because they had not figured this out by Acts 15 yet and he leaves them. Now when somebody deserts you like this, you can have like all kinds of reaction to it, but oftentimes it can be very devastating, right? So um, NBA playoffs are happening right now. 
1994, Michael Jordan has retired from baseball temporarily, and Scottie Pippen is the best player on the Bulls. He's playing against the Knicks in the Eastern Conference semifinals. It's game three. They're down by one point with 1.8 seconds left, and the coach says, okay, I don't want Scottie to take the shot, who happens to be the best player. I want Tony Kukoc to do it. And Scottie, as the best player, is angry. He goes, hey, MJ's not around. I'm the best player. If you want to win this game, you've got to let me take the shot. And Phil Jackson says, no. And what does Pippen do? He does not go into the game. And everybody is shocked. Like, you're supposed to be the leader of this thing. And if it's not about you, you can't play. Uh, and so he sits. And everyone is like, oh, my gosh, Scotty's not going in. They got 1.8 seconds left. Kukoc uh, gets the ball, and he shoots it, and they win. But in the locker room afterwards, they said all the Bulls players were very upset. The center, this guy named Bill Cartwright, is in tears and was like, I can't believe you gave up on us. And when somebody disappoints you like that, it can really, like, sink you. And I don't want to go into too many details, but I had this experience with my daughter. We caught her in a lie, Um, but not just, like, a little lie. It was a a week-long lie, and not just a lie to us, but involved her teacher, involved her best friend, it involved her um, best friend's mom. And at the end of this, I was in the car with her and I go, uh, you know, like I had the bright light shining on her. I said, tell me what happened. And she finally broke down. She said, I did it. Right. And then, you know, she's not a, a worse person than anybody else. She's just a more skillful person. That's how I uh, put it to myself. But still in that moment, I was so like devastated. I go, my sweet girl, <laughs> I can't believe um, you did this, right? I was, like, devastated, right? So when somebody, like, disappoints you, like, it can, like, uh, shake you a little bit, right? And so John Mark is on this journey. He devastates um, Paul and Barnabas. And now there's two different reactions to it. The first reaction is Paul's reaction. And Paul says, when Barnabas is like, hey, let's bring him with us. Let's give him a second chance. Paul goes, no, we can't do it. I don't trust him. He was not there with us. He was not able to get us there. Uh, what if he does it again? And this makes sense for uh, a person like Paul. Paul is like a task-oriented person. When you look at his own letters and the way that he talks about the Christian life, it's very extreme. In Philippians, he says, I forget everything that lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead so I can get the goal and I can get the prize. In 1 Corinthians 9, he compares Christianity to a race. But what he says is this. He goes, only one runner receives the prize. So run the race as to win the prize. And you're kind of like, Paul, what about everybody else? Can we play like a team sport? Why does it got to be a, a single person sport? And when he's writing to his protege, Timothy, who basically ends up uh, replacing uh, Mark in his entourage, he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, but he only lives to please his commanding officer. Paul in his personality, is a very goal-oriented, task-oriented person. If you're not with us, you can't come. If you're not going to help us, you can't come. And this might seem harsh, um, especially in today's climate, and I would probably consider myself more like a people person instead of a mission person, but even as a people person, I recognize I do this all the time. So I recently saw a statistic on Instagram or wherever that says you will have spent 90% of your time with your kids by the time they turn 18. So by the time they turn 18, all the time you're going to spend with them in your whole life, 90% of it has already gone. 
I was like, oh no, uh, time is precious. But has that changed my behavior at all? No, not at all. When I get home, I just want to like read. I want to like um, watch TV. I want to like be on my phone. And Arlo's like, dad, can you pretend to be the nutcracker and like lift me up in ballet? I'm like, no, not right now. My, my back hurts. But really what hap- what's happening is I want to be on my phone. But um, not just that. But like sometimes we'll do projects that are specifically for her. I'm like, Arlo, let's uh, build magnet tiles together or let's um, do a watercolor and paint together. And so we'll sit down and I'll have my watercolor and she'll have her watercolor or I'll be building my magnet tile and she'll be building her magnet tile. And again, the point of this is to spend time together and to like love her and to like let her feel welcome. But after like two minutes in, I've got a great magnet tile building. And she's like, Dad, can I put my tile on your building? I'm like, no, I think you're going to mess it up. (laughs) Or can I paint on your painting? I'm like, no, 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 this painting is really good right now and I don't want you to mess it up. So even in that context, we can put the agenda and the mission and the tasks that we're doing ahead of the real purpose, which is to spend time with the people around us. Now, for Paul, we have to keep in mind, this is not just his personality, but he had a legitimate concern here. Mark, most likely, just as Barnabas did, just as Peter did, when he's in the company of Gentiles, he could not keep a straight face. Their eating habits, the way that they talked, the way that they thought about life was so different from Judaism and for him so unclean that he probably was making faces, probably like, oh, like, I can't believe these guys. And Paul's like, we can't take a guy like this to do missions work. He's going to end up offending all the people that we're trying to reach. And so, as Paul is ready to go into full Gentile mode, he's like, we cannot bring Mark with us. What if he ends up offending everybody that we're there with? So, that's one reaction. Paul says, no, 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 we can't bring him. But then you have Barnabas' reaction. And Barnabas is a people-first kind of person. He says, come on, let's give Mark another chance. And when you read through Paul's letter, you find something very interesting. Actually, Barnabas and Mark are first cousins. And you might think, oh, well, this is very interesting. Maybe Barnabas is only doing this because uh, Mark is his cousin and he's looking out for his family. But as we learn and as we discuss, this is part of Mark's, or this is part of Barnabas's personality. He is all about giving people a second chance. He's all about welcoming people in. And can you imagine how he felt when Paul was the one who said to him, we cannot give Mark a second chance? If I were Barnabas, I'd be like, uh, don't you remember when nobody liked you and I introduced you to all of my friends and I made it okay for you to be a part of the church? Don't you remember when you were sitting as a tent maker in the desert and Antioch needed a pastor and I came and got you? Like, how dare you, the person who I gave a second and third chance to, says to me, we can't give a second chance to this person. If I were Barnabas, I would be very, very mad. And that raises a question, Um, who are you? Are you Paul? Are you Barnabas? When you're confronted with somebody who disappoints you, are you more likely to open open your arms and go, I know we have stuff to do, but forget it. Let's welcome them in. And if it slows us down, it slows us down. Or are you more likely to be the person that says, "Uh, no, we got to stay on task. Now, when I was younger, I was a Barnabas. I was like, oh, we got time. Let's love everybody. But as I get older, I'm Paul. I'm like, hey, if you're not uh, with us, I got things to do. I need to sleep. So, um, you're not here, then we're going to move on. And so now we're faced with this question, who was right? Was Paul right to emphasize mission and say, hey, the mission comes first. If you're not with us, then leave us. Or was Barnabas right? 
hey, the mission is the people. We have to be open to people who are not with us. It's very, very interesting when you look at it. If you follow the book of Acts, Luke seems to imply that Paul was right. This is the last time that Barnabas is ever mentioned. He goes back to his hometown, and you know nothing about what he ends up doing from that point onwards. What does Paul do? He gets um, Silas to go with him. In the next chapter, he gets Timothy to go with him, effectively replacing Barnabas and Mark. And God blesses his ministry tremendously. And what we see from that is that God rewards zeal. God rewards people who put missions first. Mission is important, and we cannot allow anything to interfere with that. But when you look outside of the book of Acts, what we find is that Barnabas was right. This event takes place right before Paul's second missionary journey, which happened around the year 49 or 50 AD. In the year 62 AD, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he starts writing the most of the letters that we end up reading in the New Testament. And when we uh, read those letters in the New Testament, we find something super interesting. In Philemon, Paul is talking about all the people that he trusts in ministry, and in his list, he mentions Mark, and he calls him a fellow worker. Again, in Colossians 4, written about 14 years after this passage, he is writing to the Colossian church and he's saying, Mark is somebody I trust. If he visits you, welcome him because he has been a great comfort to me. And again, when he's writing to Timothy, who is basically Mark's replacement in this whole endeavor, he says, one step further, I want you to actually go and get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful for me in ministry. If Barnabas had left Mark on that island by himself, Paul would not have had this very useful person in his ministry. But we can take it one step further. This John Mark most likely is the author of the Gospel of Mark. And most New Testament scholars think now that Mark was the earliest gospel ever written and that Matthew and Luke borrowed heavily from Mark. If Barnabas did not go back to Mark and say, hey, you messed up really bad, but Jesus still loves you. What, what if we have no gospel written down? What if we have no way to know what Christ said, what he did? When you look outside of the book of Acts, Barnabas is right. And so what you see in this story is the following. It's like a road where Paul and Barnabas are working together and it suddenly splits over this conflict. And as it splits, they both go on their own different path but 15 years down the line, the roads converge again. And what we learn is mission is important, but so is restoring people. We have to do both. We have to be devoted to people who do not know the gospel yet, but we also have to be reaching backwards to people who need to be restored and who need to hear that they are forgiven again. Um, so who was right? The answer is both of them. Imagine if uh, Paul had listened to Barnabas and said, okay, let's bring Mark with us. But Mark ends up slowing them down as Paul is trying to say, you don't need this other stuff. All you need is the gospel. What if the gospel had never made it as far as it did across the entire Roman Empire? Chances are many of us would not be Christian today. And what if Paul's zealous like insistence that traditions do not matter, all you need is faith, was muted down because they had to carry Mark with them. And all of a sudden, Christianity's message of freedom and power and liberation gets dampened down. Then that would have been a tragic thing for all of us in this room. 
But now imagine that um, Barnabas listens to Paul and leaves Mark alone. We'd be left without the gospel of Mark and potentially Matthew and Luke, and Paul would have been robbed of this wonderful friendship that he developed later on. So as Paul and Barnabas split, these two wonderful lessons drop out for our church. We have to be focused on our mission, but we cannot give up on people who have given up on Christ. So for the last year and a half, our church has slowly started to awaken from the COVID slumber. We are meeting together again. Um, Brother Peter had the idea, let's eat after service, and we started eating together again. Uh, Mike and Jean said, let's pray together, and we have started praying together again. Dennis said, let's serve people, and even though only Sam showed up the first time, he goes, let's really serve people, and the last time people came up, and we're slowly building the church back up. And as you all know, we are in the midst of an intense period in our church's life where we're thinking, what is the mission of our church? How do we reach new people? How do we love the people that we already have? And the answer that this passage gives us is we've got to do both. We have to reach out to new people, but we also have to do the other thing, which is to make sure we don't give up on people that have disappointed us in the past. Now, keeping these two things together is basically impossible. It's so impossible that it split up Paul and Barnabas, who are otherwise godly men. So how are we going to do this? We cannot look to ourselves, but we have to look to God who is able to do all these things. So just a couple quick examples. God the Father, the prodigal son story, he looks on the horizon for his lost son, but at the end of the story, he talks to the older son and says, hey, you got to come with us. Jesus focused on the mission of the cross and says, I have to go to the cross. I have time for nothing else. As soon as he's resurrected from the dead, he talks to Peter and says, I know you deny me three times. Come with me. The Holy Spirit falls on Gentiles, new people in the book of Acts, but it also speaks to Israel and says, you have let me down, but I want you to come back. This church, to do what God is calling us to do, has to do both things. We have to open our heart to people who are not in this room yet, and we cannot forget the people who were here and have disappointed us in the past. We must do both. All right, with that, let's pray. Um, I think the natural place to start is um, with disappointment, actually. All of us are old enough where certain people have disappointed us um, at least once, but maybe uh, in a regular way, and maybe we've already kind of written them off like Paul. Let's not forget what happens. When Barnabas goes back, He restores Mark. So let's just start there. If there's somebody uh, in your mind that you're thinking of that you go, oh, this person has disappointed me and I don't want to be with them anymore. Let's ask God for the power and the wisdom to figure out a way to open our hearts to them so that we can restore them and see what God has in store. And then after you pray like that for a little bit, why don't we also pray for the mission of our church? God, how is it that you're calling us to be open to the people that are on the horizon? So we're in this space. We got a little bit of time. So if it's okay, uh, maybe um, Peter can uh, play something. And right now I have it as like 11.27, but maybe for like the next seven to eight minutes, we can just spend some time praying. Um, It's so nice to be able to be in a place where it's quiet So let's pray for our hearts. Let's pray for our church. Um, And then maybe in like uh, eight minutes or so, Peter and David, you can lead us in um, some worship.